You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So a bit of a um, bit of an abrupt transition in the tenor of how the gathering moves. So I uh, just want you to sit there for a moment and just take this in. All right. tell me uh, the name of that song? Everyday People. Raise your hand if you knew the song. Come on. All right, who can tell me who performed it? Sly and the Family. I like how Barbara's Sly and the Family, listening to him on the way to church. Uh, raise your hand if you knew it was Sly and the Family Stone. Okay, look around. Okay, but raise your hand if you'd heard the song and knew the song. Come on. Raise your hand if you could even sing some of the lyrics of the song. Or raise your hand if you knew who the artist was of the song. All right, now, who knows who wrote the song? Sly Stone. Who knows what the song is about? <laughs> Everything. That's, you can't do it. Jesus. <laughs> like, like, that's how, like, that's going to be, geez, it's about Jesus. Um, anybody know what the song's about? Huh? Okay, it was about acceptance. So Sly wrote it in 68. Now, if you know anything about Sly the Family Stone, is it, was, it was a mashup of music, but it was also a mashup of race and ethnicity. Like Sly Stone wanted to create a band that was black and white, male and female, in 1968, obviously before then at a time where our country was in a massive upheaval of what to do with black and white and male and female. Sly the Family Stone created a band to express that and to bring people together in music. This was Sly's plea for human equality and equity. And acceptance. 1969, it became a number one hit, the first number one hit they had, hit the top of the charts. The little line, Scooby Dooby Doo, right? 1969, that little trippy cartoon came out. Um, in 1969, people think maybe they got Scooby Doo from, and Scooby Dooby Doo from Sly the Family Stone. Anybody know who remade the song? Okay, okay, no, yeah, it was, it played through, yeah, Arrested Development played a version of it called People Every Day. Um, they they kind of riffed off of it. Uh, Aretha Franklin redid the song. 
and then the great philosophers of grunge rock, Pearl Jam, um, <laughs> the king of enunciation, uh, he, they, 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 they redid the song. It's interesting that many of us can know the lyrics of a song, not know who did the song, but we can know the lyrics. Because there's a familiarity with it. But we don't know anything else about it. And then it's interesting how we can know all the lyrics, but not really know what the song's about. It's even more interesting that we can know all the lyrics of a song that we don't know who performs it, and we don't really know what it fully is about, but we don't even know then who wrote it and from where it comes. Does that make sense? What I want to do is I, I, I wanted to like tweak our minds because I feel like in some ways that's how the Lord's Prayer works. There's such an over-familiarity with the Lord's Prayer that we can just say it, but we don't always remember what the context is. We don't remember what goes on around the song. And we're so overly familiar with it that we even lose its meaning. Many of us don't even know that the Lord's Prayer is a poem. It's written poetically. Many of us don't recognize that Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach. Never taught his disciples how to evangelize. He didn't. He sent them away. He sent them on. He didn't give them a script. They didn't go to evangelism one-on-one. He didn't even teach them how to, quote, do church, which is not a thing, by the way, but let's just say it's a thing because in North American Christianity it is. But you know what he did teach them? How to pray. Now, last week I made a proposal, I stand by that proposal, that when Paul says pray always without ceasing, Paul is trying to get us to understand that prayer is just as much attending to the presence of God who is always with us, who's as close to us as the breath in our lungs, as much as it is a practice. And a lot of times when we talk about prayer, we think about it in terms of a practice. But when Paul says pray without ceasing, Paul is inviting us to understand that there is nowhere we can walk where God isn't. And so if we can learn to give God our attention as many times through the day as we can, then we can just open our lips or open our minds or open our hearts and speak to God who is with us. That it doesn't require a prayer posture to speak with the God who is with you and living in you. It doesn't require a practice to speak to the God who is with you and living within you, the God who is as close to you as the air in your lungs, the God to with whom you have God's attention, we just have to learn to give God ours. You with me? And we talked about that last week. We talked about how that is ultimately the question. The question isn't how many times a, pray do, times a day do you pray? The question is, do you live any part of your day with an intentional awareness that God is with you? Does that make sense? So God is with you in the cube, God in cubicle. God is with you in the car, in the shower, in the bed. There is no place you're going to be where God isn't. So there is no place you can't be that you can't speak with God from anywhere at any time for any reason whatsoever. And so above all and primary to all things when it comes to prayer, we have to remember that prayer is more about practicing the presence of God in our lives. And yet with that, the Christ who knew that was the case, the Christ who said, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, the Christ who said, I'll be with you always, still, I guess, knew that we needed to learn how to pray. Because maybe if we take to heart that prayer is ultimately the practice of the presence of God, maybe the problem we'll suffer from is that every prayer will be reactive. Does that make sense? Help me, help me, help me. 
That's what Anne Lamont once wrote. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. In prayer, conversation with God can be much deeper than that. It can be much deeper. It can be that simple and that beautiful, but it can be much deeper than just these reactive postures of prayer that we lean into as we go about our everyday lives. So Jesus then offers the disciples a way to pray. And there's something beautiful about this prayer, but there's something overly familiar with this prayer. And we can lose a sense of the meaning and the purpose of this prayer. But I bet we can all still, many of us who grew up in a church tradition, I bet we can somewhat say this prayer. So why don't we all just stand for a minute and let's say the prayer together. And I'm going to let you say it in whatever language you learned it from because some of us learned it through a King James Version Bible. Some of us learned it through another version of the Bible. So say it within the language you learned. Are right, you ready? So we're just going to sound like a mashup of the Lord's Prayer. Right here. All right, here we go. Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Say it however you want to. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You can be seated. Now, for one thing, many Christ followers uh, don't always like written prayers. I do, and I'm, I'm not going to call any of y'all out because we family. We ain't going to do that here. But I remember when I first started introducing written prayers to the congregation, some of us struggled with praying written prayers until we had a conversation and recognized that we have a problem with praying written prayers, but we don't have a problem singing somebody else's written lyrics. And we had such a, a weird connection in our heads that they were somehow different. One has music, one does not. Therein lies the difference. But for many of us, we grow up in traditions where we weren't taught written prayers. I didn't. I wasn't taught to pray written prayers in our tradition. This actual church wasn't taught to pray written prayers in its tradition, not historically. Uh, spontaneous prayers were more of the prayers that we pray. Um, I want to pause just for a minute. Sherry, what's the thermostat say? 73? Um, Carol, what, Carol, what's the thermostat say? Okay. Raise your hand if you're cold. Raise your hand if you're warm. Oh, wow. Therein lies the differences. And, oh, warm people lose. Um, sorry, George. Sorry. sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, bump it to 73. Yeah. Again, a new AC unit that works. Who knew? Uh, we literally talk about that in the middle of the <laughs> But it was like, I was wondering, I was seeing some of y'all starting to do this thing here and put on coats, and that was a sign. Um, but don't be doing that every Sunday. Don't look at me and be like, putting on your coat. <laughs> and doing this while I'm offering a word, trying to let me know passive-aggressively that you're cold. Not going to hear that. Um, so problem, part of the problem is that we, we, we struggle with these ideas of written prayers. And, and I want to let you know that, that you can have peace. And in, in about 252 Common Era, so about, you know, the second century, in year 252, um, it seems like maybe the early church was starting to talk about, you know, this idea of praying written prayers. And so this North African church leader named Cyprian wrote to churches, and he wanted to encourage them not to give up on praying this specific prayer in their gatherings because the Lord's Prayer formed the church as the prayer of all prayers. When the church gathered, they prayed this prayer. 
It wasn't a Catholic thing or whatever denominational label we want to put on it. This was a Christian thing. And so Cyprian wrote, he said, He who made us to live taught us to pray. Let us, therefore, beloved, pray as God, our teacher, has taught us. As a a leader of the church from North Africa, he was writing these churches and saying, keep praying the Lord's Prayer. Thirteen centuries later, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, this is certainly the very best prayer that ever came to earth or that anyone would ever have thought up because God the Father composed it through his Son and placed it in his mouth. mouth. There is for us no doubt that this prayer pleases him immensely. And you could read through church history where the writers and leaders of the church, men and women, are writing to the church to remind them to pray the Lord's Prayer as a regular way of life. Matter of fact, the DDK, everybody say DDK. It looks like the Dachi if you read it. It's, uh, but the DDK, which dates back to the first century, is an actual handbook for the church. I don't know if you're familiar, but the DDK was a written handbook for how the church could gather. It's the only thing we have, really. Um, it's as old as Matthew and Luke and Mark. And so we're talking about a first century writing um, that described in very short form how the church should gather and what they should do. Well, the DDK st- said in its own writing, which is oftentimes referred to as the writings of the apostles, the DDK is, the teachings of the apostles, it says to the church to pray the Lord's Prayer when they gather. But the problem with the Lord's Prayer is that it's overly familiar. And the problem with the Lord's Prayer is that we blow through it so fast and we don't always know the depth and the beauty and the meaning of the Lord's Prayer. And so what I want to do this week and next week, and Jason's going to come up here in a few moments because I want to move into the conversation um, out of this Lord's Prayer. What we want to do is next two weeks as we look at this gripping and grasping and giving this view of money, possessions, and power in this series that we're in, I want to take a look at this Lord's Prayer and ask, what does it have to do with money, possessions, and power? What does it have to do with grasping and gripping and giving? One of the things I want you to know, if you don't mind, before we actually look at it briefly and then Jason comes up, is there is this guy named Pliny. uh, And Pliny was not a Christian. He was a Roman governor uh, within about the first century. I believe he's in the first century, uh, maybe second century. Let me just check that. Yeah, yeah, so he would be about about the second century. He, he, uh, was writing to the Roman emperor Trajan trying to uh, get some counsel as to what to do with Christians because Christians were suspect. And Pliny, a Roman governor, had been putting a lot of Christians on trial to try and learn what it was they were really about because it was such a subversive religion in the Roman Empire. And one of the things Pliny wrote to the emperor was that he had learned that the Christians all the Christians gathered every morning at a set time together for prayers and songs. And then they would come back in the evening together for prayers and songs. They gathered every day twice. Can you imagine that? That level, that, London, like that, that would be, wow, like that, we struggle with once a week, like that was twice a day. And then when you read uh, a man named Tertullian, he was a, an African church father from that same time period. He wrote a book called On Prayers, and he suggested that Christians pray every noon hour, every 3 p.m. hour, and every 9 a.m. hour. So every 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. And what you learn when you zoom out is that it is very likely that the Christians in Rome 
and within the Roman world, would gather together every day in morning and evening for prayers. In evening, they would share a meal, which made sense with poverty because folks in poverty in Rome couldn't eat. And so they would come together and they would eat, but they would pray in the morning, pray in the evening, and throughout the day, they would pray their prayers. And the central prayer of their prayers, anybody want to guess? Jesus, right? The Lord's Prayer. That's how familiar and deep and informative, transformative that prayer was. And I share all this to say this. Our mothers and fathers of our faith lived with great discipline their Christian confession. And a part of that discipline are rhythms. Just like in music, those rhythms that keep us in pace, that keep us moving forward. And the Lord's Prayer was a part of that rhythm. And so in Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bibles... Jesus said, you should pray like this. That's what he said. Jesus, how should we pray? Jesus spends a few verses talking about how hypocrites pray. And then Jesus says, you should pray like this. And the early church took him literally. (laughs) So they prayed like he taught. And so Jesus said, our Father in heaven. You know what that is? A remembrance of God's total love for us as a divine parent. That's what that phrase is. He said, your name be honored and holy. You know what that is? A remembrance of God's total holiness. Of how God is totally other. How God's mercy and grace and justice and love is like no other. Name be honored as holy. And then he prayed, your kingdom come. You know what that is? A remembrance of God's reign in the world. That God is king. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what that is? That's a remembrance that there is no place in the human life where God isn't desirous of something beautiful and good. That faith is is an absolute worldly experience. That there's no material thing that God doesn't desire to be placed under God's reign as the one who provides as the divine parent who is the Father in heaven and who is holy. Give us today our daily bread. Now for us, we read that and we think, oh, that means literal bread. But in the Jewish language house, in their vocabulary, bread was a metaphor. It was a word that meant sustenance. So when it was prayed, give us today your daily bread, they're saying, give us all we need to actually live. The money, the possessions, the food, the relationships, the grace, the goodness, the strength, the power to live as you want us to live and to do it daily. Give us today your daily bread. And then he said, and forgive us our debts. You know what that is? A remembrance of our reliance upon God's grace and mercy. Steady, continual reliance. And then he said, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Mm. You know what that is? A remembrance of Jesus' own teaching too. To be merciful because God has been merciful to us. 
to learn how somehow to forgive because we have been forgiven to take on the way of humility as God refuses to humiliate us. And then he said, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know what that means? That only God can liberate. That only God can keep us. That we cannot liberate ourselves through our own resources, that we live still in the reign of sin and death, where we are drawn away from the truth and the goodness and beauty of God. And only God, God's own self, can liberate us more deeply into the truth and the goodness and the beauty of God. You want to know why we sin? Because we stray from the truth and goodness and beauty of God. That's why. Sin isn't just a behavioral reality. It just manifests itself in that way. It's a leading away from the truth and the goodness and the beauty of God. Who is the Father in heaven whose name is holy whose kingdom is coming, whose will is being done on earth as it is in heaven, who provides us our daily bread and forgives us our sins. That is what that means. You know what is true about this prayer? Is that there's no part of your life this prayer won't touch. There is no moment in your life this prayer won't touch. But you know what else is good about this prayer? Is it starts off with the words, our Father, not just my Father. Because you know what this prayer reminds you right there in the very first word is that you, that God isn't just about me centered me. That I am only me because there is a you, because there is a God, and therefore there's always a we. Christianity is not an individualistic centered enterprise. This isn't about my preferences. This isn't about my ideologies and my politics. Come on. My Lord, save us. This is about us. But the God of us is still the God of you. And so you then can pray, give me today my daily bread. There's nothing this prayer doesn't touch. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.